Part five of By the Turtles of Tasman by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Part five. I have worked hard, Frederick explained to Polly that evening on the veranda, unaware that when a man explains, it is a sign his situation is growing parlous. I have done what came to my hand, how creditably it is for others to say, and I have been paid for it. I have taken care of others and taken care of myself. The doctors say they have never seen such a constitution in a man of my years. Why, almost half my life is yet before me, and we Travers are a long-lived stock. I took care of myself, you see, and I have myself to show for it. I was not a waster. I conserved my heart and my arteries, and yet there are few men who can boast having done as much work as I have done. Look at that hand. Steady, eh? It will be as steady twenty years from now. There is nothing in playing fast and loose with oneself. And all the while Polly had been following the invidious comparison that lurked behind his words. You can write honorable before your name, she flashed up proudly, but my father has been a king. He has lived. Have you lived? What have you got to show for it? Stocks and bonds and houses and servants. Poof! Heart and arteries and a steady hand. Is that all? Have you lived merely to live? Were you afraid to die? I'd rather sing one wild song and burst my heart with it than live a thousand years watching my digestion and being afraid of the wet. When you are dust, my father will be ashes. That is the difference. But, my dear child, he began, what have you got to show for it? She flamed on. Listen. From within, through the open window, came the tinkling of Tom's ukulele and the rollicking lilt of his voice in an Hawaiian hula. It ended in a throbbing, primitive love call from the sensuous tropic night that no one could mistake. There was a burst of young voices and a clamor for more. Frederick did not speak. He had sensed something vague and significant. Turning, he glanced through the window at Tom, flushed and royal, surrounded by the young men and women, under his viking mustache, lighting a cigarette from a match held to him by one of the girls. It abruptly struck Frederick that never had he lighted a cigar at a match held in a woman's hand. Dr. Tyler says he oughtn't to smoke. It only aggravates, he said, and it was all he could say. As the fall of the year came on, a new type of men began to frequent the house. They probably called themselves sourdoughs, and they were arriving in San Francisco on the winter's furlough from the gold diggings of Alaska. More and more of them came, and they preempted a large portion of one of the downtown hotels. Captain Tom was fading with the season and almost lived in the big chair. He drowsed oftener and longer, but whenever he awoke, he was surrounded by his court of young people, or there was some comrade waiting to sit and yarn about the good old gold days, 
and plan for the new gold days for tom husky travers the yukoners named him never thought that the end approached a temporary illness he called it the natural enfeeblement following upon a prolonged bout with yucatan fever in the spring he would be right and fit again cold weather was what he needed his blood had been cooked in the meantime it was a case of take it easy and make the most of the rest and no one undeceived him not even the yukoners who smoked pipes and black cigars and chewed tobacco on frederick's broad verandas until he felt like an intruder in his own house there was no touch with them they regarded him as a stranger to be tolerated they came to see tom and their manner of seeing him was provocative of innocent envy pangs to frederick day after day he watched them he would see the yukoners meet perhaps one just leaving the sick-room and one just going in they would clasp hands solemnly and silently outside the door the newcomer would question with his eyes and the other would shake his head and more than once frederick noted the moisture in their eyes then the newcomer would enter and draw his chair up to tom's and with jovial voice proceed to plan the outfitting for the exploration of the upper Cuskoking, for it was there tom was bound in the spring dogs could be had at larrabee's a clean breed too with no taint of the soft southland strains it was rough country it was reported but if sourdoughs couldn't make the travers from larrabee's in forty days they'd like to see chechako do it in sixty and so it went until frederick wondered when he came to die if there was one man in the county much less in the adjoining county who would come to him at his bedside seated at his desk through the open windows would drift whiffs of strong tobacco and rumbling voices and he could not help catching snatches of what the yukoners talked do ye recollect that koyukuk rush in the early nineties he would hear one say well him and me was partners then tradin and such we had a dinky little steamboat the bladderpat he named her that and it stuck it was a caution well sir as i was saying him and me loaded the little bladder bat to the guards and started up the coyote me firing and engineering and him steering and both of us deck handed once in a while we'd tie to the bank and cut firewood it was the fall and mush ice was coming down and everything getting ready for the freeze-up you see we was north of the arctic circle then and still heading north but they was two hundred miners in there needin grub if they wintered and we had the grub well sir pretty soon they begun to pass us driftin down the river in canoes and rafts they was pullin out we kept track of them when a hundred and ninety-four had passed we didn't see no reason for keepin on so we turned tail and started down a cold snap had come and the water was fallin fast and dang me if we didn't round on a bar upstream side the bladder pad hung up solid 
couldn't budge her. It's a shame to waste all that grub, says I, just as we was pulling out in a canoe. Let's stay and eat it, says he, and dang me if we didn't. We wintered right there on the bladderbat, hunting and trading with the Indians, and when the river broke next year, we brung down eight thousand dollars worth of skins. Now a whole winter, just two of us, is going some, but never a cross word out of him. Best-tempered partner I ever seen, but fight. Huh, came the other voice. I remember the winter Oily Jones allowed he'd clean out 40 mile, only he didn't, for about the second yap he let off, he ran afoul of Husky Travers. It was in the white caribou. I'm a wolf, yaps Jones. You know his style, a gun in his belt, fringes on his moccasins, and long hair down his back. I'm a wolf, he yaps, and this is my night to howl. Hear me, you long, lean makeshift of a human critter, and this to Husky Travers. Well, the other voice queried, after a pause. In about a second and a half, Oily Jones was on the floor, and Husky on top, asking somebody kindly to pass him a butcher knife. What's he do but plumb hack off all of Oily Jones' long hair? Now how, damn you, how, says Husky, getting up. He was a cool one for a wild one. The first voice took up. I seen him buck roulette in the little wolverine, drop nine thousand in two hours, borrow some more, win it back in fifteen minutes, buy the drinks, and cash in. Dang me, all in fifteen minutes. One evening, Tom was unusually brightly awake, and Frederick, joining the rapt young circle, sat and listened to his brother's serial-comic narrative of the night of wreck on the island of Blang, of the swim through the sharks where half the crew was lost, of the great pearl which Desse brought ashore with him, of the head-decorated palisade that surrounded the grass palace wherein dwelt the Malay queen with her royal consort, a shipwrecked Chinese Eurasian, of the intrigue for the pearl of Desse, of mad feasts and dances in the barbaric night, and quick dangers and sudden deaths, of the queen's love-making to Desay, of Desay's love-making to the queen's daughter, and of Desay, every joint crushed, still alive, staked out on the reef at low tide to be eaten by the sharks, of the coming of the plague, of the beating of tom-toms and the exorcising of the devil-devil doctors, of the flight over the man-trapped wild-pig runs of the mountain bushmen, and of the final rescue by Tasman, he who was hatcheted only last year and whose head reposed in some Melanesian stronghold, and all breathing of the warmth and abandon and savagery of the burning islands of the sun. And, despite himself, Frederick sat entranced, and when all the tale was told, he was aware of a queer emptiness. He remembered back to his boyhood, when he had pored over the illustrations in the old-fashioned geography. He, too, 
had dreamed of amazing adventures in far places and desired to go out on the shining ways and he had planned to go yet he had known only work and duty perhaps that was the difference perhaps that was the secret of the strange wisdom in his brother's eyes for the moment faint and far vicariously he glimpsed the lordly vision his brother had seen he remembered a sharp saying of polly's you have missed romance you traded it for dividends she was right and yet not fair he had wanted romance but the work had been placed ready to his hand he had toiled and moiled day and night and been faithful to his trust yet he had missed love and the world living that was forever a whisper in his brother and what had tom done to deserve it a wastrel and an idle singer of songs his place was high he was going to be the next governor of california but what man would come to him and lie to him out of love the thought of all his property seemed to put a dry and gritty taste in his mouth property now that he looked at it one thousand dollars was like any other thousand dollars and one day of his days was like any other day he had never made the pictures in the geography come true he had not struck his man nor lighted his cigar at a match held in a woman's hand a man could sleep in only one bed at a time tom had said that he shuddered as he strove to estimate how many beds he owned how many blankets he had bought and all the beds and blankets would not buy one man to come from the end of the earth and grip his hand and cry by the turtles of tasman something of all this he told polly an undercurrent of complaint at the unfairness of things in his tale and she had answered it couldn't have been otherwise father bought it he never drove bargains it was a royal thing and he paid for it royally you grudged the price don't you see you saved your arteries and your money and kept your feet dry End of part five